My name is Patrick McGinnis, and I'm the guy who invented the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out. Today, FOMO is an epidemic, and it's changing us so much that it sort of feels like we're evolving into a new species. But FOMO doesn't have to take over your life. You can find the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. I'll show you how right here on FOMO Sapiens. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show about finding the power to choose what you actually want in business and life and the courage to miss out on the rest. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, the creator of the term FOMO, and I'm coming at you from AW360 Studios in the global capital of FOMO, New York City. As I just told you, I'm the guy who invented FOMO, but you don't have to take it from me. Today, we're going to be talking about the origins of FOMO, where it came from, how it grew, and how it became a word, celebrity, that is now in the dictionary and is basically on the tongues of people all over the world. My guest today is Ben Schreckinger, who wrote the very first article discussing the origins of FOMO. His piece, The Home of FOMO, ran in the mid-2014 in Boston Magazine. In it, he chronicled the birth and the rise of FOMO in our culture. Today, Ben is a national political correspondent at Politico. Before that, he served as GQ's Washington correspondent and worked as a staff writer at Politico magazine, where he covered the rise of Donald Trump. He has also written about politics, economics, culture, and their intersections for Slate, Newsweek, The Atlantic, and The Financial Times, among others. Back in college, he served as the editor-in-chief and president of the Brown Daily Herald. Also, Ben is not just uh, here with me today as a guest. He will be taking over FOMO Sapiens. We're mixing things up a bit and will be interviewing me for a change. But first, I do have a question for you, Ben. Usually I start the show with uh, the typical what's giving you FOMO right now, but I'm going to skip to something way more salacious. What did Donald Trump say about you and how did he say it? Donald Trump has said a few things about me, um, more or less all of them with scorn. Uh, he, he once gave a campaign speech in 2015, which he said something along the lines of, uh, we have this guy, I don't know his name, Ben Schreckinger. Every article is a horror show. I'm winning in the polls. And he said, I should have done better. Uh, and then he waved around in his hand, some printouts of emails I had with his campaign. He started reading them, uh, to show how, in his opinion, unfair I was being to him uh, and his business career. Um, he's tweeted uh, that I'm a major lightweight with no credibility and so dishonest um, and said a few other things along the way. I think he's, he's, he's called me on the phone and told me I'm a good writer, but he's also gone on the radio and said I'm a bad writer. Um, so uh, I guess he flip-flopped on that one. Okay, so I, I feel like um, then we're going to have a show that's going to be fraught with fake news and conflict, which is awesome because, you know, that makes for the best podcast ever. So uh, I'm really looking forward to what you're going to throw at me today. And, and, and I promise you that whatever happens, I will not tweet, tweet that you are a fraud and a fake and a bad writer. There's one thing I know about you. You're always a good writer. Thanks. All right. So take it away. Okay. Well, uh, this is a, a subject I've interviewed you about before, um, but let's just start from the beginning. How did you first come up with the idea of FOMO? So FOMO, and, and for, for those of you who are listening, Ben just mentioned that he's done this with me before. So 
In 2014, I was on my way to Boston for a business school reunion. Um, I graduated, you know, 10 years before from Harvard Business School, and I was going up to Boston, and I get a strange email in my email inbox that says, um, origins of FOMO or something like that. And it's from this guy named Ben Schreckinger, who I'd never heard of in my life. And he says, I'm a reporter for Boston Magazine. I'm writing an article about FOMO. Would you be willing to talk to me? And I said, sure, I'm actually going to be in Boston. Why don't we grab a beer? So Ben and I sat down and I'm going to tell him, you know, basically, I will. I, my response to this question will be basically what we talked about that day, which is the fact that when I was a student at Harvard Business School, I came from New York City. So I'd been living in New York for several years. But before that, you know, if you back up, I'm from the state of Maine. I'm from a small town called Sanford, about 20,000 people. And Sanford is a great place. It's beautiful. We have beautiful parks. We actually have a park by Olmsted, who designed Central Park. But it's not a place where there's that much to do. And so I grew up in a home where not that much, you know, crazy happened. There wasn't a lot to miss out on, you know, you kind of had your, your, your schedule and your routine. And then I moved to New York City and I lived here. And of course, New York City is crazy. There's so much happening all the time. Um, but, you know, still, I, I managed to kind of keep my head together because I was working all the time. My head was down. I was just basically focused on my job. And after four years of working and then having lived through uh, the horror that was 9-11, I just sort of felt like, you know, life is short. It's time to go to grad school. And I moved up to HBS in Boston, where for the first time in my life, I was surrounded by a crazy amount of super, super intense people who all wanted to do everything, who were traveling all the time, taking parts in lots of experiences. And I realized for the first time in my life that basically I could kind of do whatever I wanted. I had saved some money for, for school. I had the ability to spend that on travel and other things like that. And I also noticed that there was so much opportunity. The school had everything going for it in terms of amazing visitors, speakers, parties. I mean, it was just like nonstop awesomeness. And so I basically uh, started trying to do everything. And my friends would make fun of me saying I had a fear of missing out. And I said, what, what, what is this FOMO thing? I start, you know, I, I oftentimes make up words. I've made up tons of words in my life. So I came up with this idea of fear of missing out is FOMO. And I started referring it to FOMO. And that, you know, that was the beginning, the birth of the term FOMO. And then a year later, I decided to write an article about it. So I put it out on the internet and it started to spread from there. Well, another thing I'll just add to the sort of the backstory of how this came about with Patrick is I reached out to him. I said, hey, I think you invented the term FOMO. Uh, and Patrick wrote back, is FOMO big? I thought FOBO was big. And he, was, he, he wrote also in this op-ed about a term called FOBO, fear of better option, that he and his friends continue to toss around. Um, I'm 29. Patrick has a good decade plus on me. Uh, so it was shocking to me that he was not aware that FOMO was a term that had had achieved totally widespread uh, millennial penetration in the entire English-speaking world. Uh, you just weren't going to go anywhere and talk to someone who was under 30 at that time uh, who wasn't familiar with the term FOMO. Uh, but Patrick uh, was just in a slightly different cohort and was was unaware of what he had started and, and how massive it had become. Um, it, yeah, it's true. I had no idea. And in fact, when I referred to FOBO being big, I meant sort of like my friends and I used FOBO. We never used FOMO. So I was completely, this was like out of the blue, a shot out of the dark when you when you wrote me that email. So... You write this article in your school newspaper, then what? 
So what I, it's, I've been trying to figure this out, right? Because I'm like, I became like a forensic scientist trying to trace the origins of FOMO to like where, where I wrote that article to like, to you reaching out to me in 2014. Of course, it's gone beyond them, but now I've been able to track it. But what happened between 2004 and 2014? So I did a bunch of research and as far as I can tell, what happened was, um, the, the, the article was published in the, the newspaper right at the end of my second year of business school, so in 2004. At that point, you know, it was very popular on campus. So a lot of people read it, both first-year students and second-year students. So the people who were graduating left and went back, you know, 900 to 1,000 people, go back to their countries and cities of origin and start using this term uh, among their friends and family and at work and stuff like that. So there is a, a propagation effect that takes place kind of all over, in, you know, in Brazil, in the UK, in India, in Jordan, wherever those places are. And at the same time, the first-year students who had read that article started using that on campus. And so basically within the United States, it became something that was passed down from one class to another at Harvard Business School. And the proof that I have of that is that in 2007, a reporter for Business Week wrote an article about the fact that students at Harvard Business School had this thing called FOMO, which is fear of missing out. And it was becoming a really big part of the culture. And it was this real MBA thing. And MBA students everywhere should know about this because this is sort of um, part of what it is to be an MBA. And as you think about that group of people, you, every year you're graduating a thousand people and they have friends at other schools and suddenly it grows from there. Um, it, you can see how it would start to take over into a wider web of people who are working in the business world, who are well-connected, who are working in marketing, who can take that term and start using it. And so that's what I believe happened. There have been other incidences of you know, people writing about it. In, in 2009, the founder of Flickr, Kat, uh, Katrina Fake, wrote a big blog post about it that was um, in, in, instrumental in, in it being spread because she wrote it about South by Southwest. And it, it, in fact, PBS wrote a story or NPR wrote a story claiming that she invented FOMO, um, which, is, which is just, you know, I'm, not factually correct because she wrote that article five years after um, it came out at HBS. So no, no bad to you, Katrina. We still love that you used it. But I think that's kind of the stuff that happened. And then, you know, over time, it just sort of became more and more popular because I think it really, it reflects the life that you live today. It's such a, it's such a you know, sort of user-friendly term for the digital age. And what we, we talked about this a little bit, but what did you think when you got this email from me uh, out of the blue on the eve, uh, crazily enough, of your 10-year reunion, uh, sort of on the 10-year anniversary of you writing that piece? I thought it was weird because I thought, why, um, why would somebody want to write an article about this? You know, it was sort of didn't, again, I was really oblivious. And then when we met, I like. I just thought you were a great guy. I thought you know, I you know, guy's smart. He's he's asking interesting questions. It was fun talking to you. Uh, we, I found out you have you know family ties to Maine, which I'm always that makes me happy. If I don't mention Maine in a in a podcast episode, then I failed. Um, and so so I like that about you. And then, um, I, but I didn't think much of it. I really thought to myself you were going to write an article about FOMO. It was going to be like one page long and that you were going to mention me in paragraph 14 in half of a paragraph and that would be it. And then, Ben, you surprised me because I think it was about, probably about six weeks later, I was in Buenos Aires on the tarmac taking off for United States. 
uh, somebody sent me the article and they said, you have to see this. And I opened it and I realized you wrote this article basically was about me and my experience. And it was like through my, my lens and it, I had like beautiful original artwork and it was kind of like five pages long. And it was, um, I'd never had any press coverage. I'd never really done anything that put me out there like that before. And so it freaked me out. I read it. I was thinking to myself, what did this guy, you know, has he said anything bad about me? Is there a downside in this? And then I had a glass of wine. I read it again. I had a second glass of wine. I read it again. I took a, I slept overnight. I woke up in the morning, had breakfast, read it a third time. And I thought, you know, this article is actually kind of awesome. And, you know, I love it. I feel proud of this. I posted it on Facebook when I landed in New York and then I took a four hour nap because it was like six in the morning. When I woke up, it had like 400 likes, had been shared multiple times. I was getting emails from people all over the country who had read your article because it sort of went viral. And so, you know, from meeting you and thinking like, who the heck is this guy? Then I just felt a a profound sense of gratefulness that you had written this really cool article that I thought, you know, made it the story like really cool and, and, and funny. I'll add, I think when I first reached out to you that you asked me if it was a joke and you might have told me that you suspected, again, because you weren't aware of why someone would be so interested in this term FOMO, uh, that you thought maybe you're about to go to your reunion, your buddies had someone pulling a prank on you like a reporter cared about this. Uh, So that was another sort of funny part of your initial uh, hesitation when I reached out to you. Yeah, um, you, you, you're right about that. I definitely, I just was, again, it was just like so out of the blue. Now I, now like FOMO is like, a, I'm making a, a podcast about it. So clearly I'm thinking about it more, but it was not, it was out of sight, out of mind for a long time. So I mentioned FOBO a minute ago, um, but you've told me uh, that you think it's actually more important than FOMO perhaps. Uh, so, so just tell us a little bit more about what that is and, and why it matters. Yeah, so FOBO is a fear of a better option. And that is the idea, you know, you think about FOMO. People, this is like the classic question. People say, what's the difference? I don't see a difference. Let me see if I can explain. FOBO um, is fear of a better option. FOMO is fear of missing out. So if you have FOMO, you're basically seeing all these opportunities and you're trying to do all of them. So I'm going to try to go to four birthday parties on a Thursday night. And uh, as somebody who does that routinely, I, I, I try not to, but... But that's what FOMO is. It's trying to do many things and splitting up your time, attention, um, and sort of your your energy to do those things. FOBO, fear of a better option, is about collecting a bunch of options, but you know, basically not deciding, uh, waiting till the last minute or never deciding at all um, before you commit to something. And the difference that I think is so important is that with FOMO, um, you're hurting yourself. It's it's, it's, you know, it, it is, it is definitely, you know, stressful for you, but you don't necessarily hurt, you don't necessarily hurt other people. You know, when you have FOMO, um, it's really about splitting your own attention and energy and tiring yourself out. On the other hand, FOBO, it may be that three people asked you to, uh, to dinner on Thursday night, or you are interviewing with companies and you've gotten three offers, or you're dating three you know, people at the same time, and you're not willing to just choose one. And so that's bad because it's bad for you, but it's also bad for all the people around you because you're, not, you're sort of stringing people along. 
And in that way, I sort of think of FOMO a little bit like drinking wine. A little FOMO isn't so bad. You can actually learn from it and you can, you can find ways to discover what you really want to be doing. Too much FOMO, like too much wine, is just going to make you, basically make you dizzy and maybe pass out. <laughs> and FOBO is kind of like cigarettes. There's nothing good about FOBO. It's just bad all the time. It may feel good, but it's rotting you from the inside out. Yikes. Right? I know, heavy, uh, right? <laughs> how, is, how is FOBO doing in terms of gaining currency? I don't, um, I don't see it out there as often as, as FOMO. I'm calling it the 2017, actually wrong year, 2018 and 2019 are the year of FOBO. So um, a reporter for the New York Times, Tim Herrera, wrote a piece in Smarter Living about FOBO this summer. I saw it. I was kind of blown away because the only time I've ever seen FOBO before was in a TV ad uh, campaign for a company called HH Gregg that's now bankrupt. So the FOBO didn't save their business. And in fact, who knows, maybe it contributed to their demise. Um, but, uh, but Tim wrote this article and I reached out to him and said, you know, it's really cool that you wrote this article. Did you know that I came up with the term? And he was kind enough to interview me and run a piece in the New York Times, which got tons of traction and I've never experienced anything quite like that before. And then from there, it was just highlighted in Health Magazine. Uh, I just saw that yesterday. Um, I got interviewed for Cosmopolitan Magazine that'll be out in November of 2018. And so I think it's starting to gain traction and I'll tell you why. Because when people hear this, especially people who are older than 30, you mentioned like this is generational. People who have um, are in their lives, parts of their lives where they have um, kind of overcome their FOMO, which a lot of people have by you know their 30s. The FOBO starts really taking over because FOBO is really a, it's a it's a it's a, an affliction of abundance. The more choices you have, the more likely you are to have FOBO. And so we are seeing that FOBO is the is this term that people are starting to feel really resonates with what they're dealing with in their real lives. So this. Seminal article you wrote in the Harvest was McGinnis's Three Foes. That was the title of it. McGinnis's Two Foes. Two Foes. Okay, but I believe it mentions towards the end uh, a possible third foe. It does, uh, which is Foda. So, what's Foda? Why haven't we heard about it yet? Yeah, I don't know why I didn't. I mean, your 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 math is right because I talk about FOMO, FOBO, and Foda, and um, the way that that works is you know you have FOMO. You're trying to keep up with everything. Then you have FOBO. You're basically not deciding. You're collecting options. And when you combine those two things together, like if you have them both at the same time, and I did a case study in the article about a fictional student who was like a composite uh, of the typical student. Uh, when When you combine those two, you have what's called FODA, or fear of doing anything. And FODA is really paralysis. It's when you are basically... Just, you know, you've got all of these options swirling around you. you. You're trying to do a lot of them, but you can't decide among them. And you were paralyzed. And it's just not a good place to be. And what I, of course, realized later on as this term spread, um, and which is kind of ridiculous, is that FODA in Portuguese means the F word. So if you are in Brazil or in Portugal and you hear the word FODA, it really... Captures. I mean, I think it really corresponds well to the meaning in Portuguese as well. Uh, so it, it's got it's a perfect storm. But uh, if I ever uh, write anything about Foda in Brazil, I'm going to have to do a very uh, careful job making sure that I don't offend the whole country. 
Yeah, so if I'm in Portugal and people start screaming Foda at me, I should just point them in your direction and say that's who you're looking for, right? Exactly. They'll be like, ah, oh, Foda, eh, Foda. Foda is, is that's the, uh, that would be the Brazilian pronunciation. It, uh, you, if you hear that word, I would encourage you to like hightail it out of there straight away. It's sort of, it's, it sort of sounds like the paradox of choice. I mean, all of this, this whole sort of, this whole sort of conundrum that you're describing with the three yes. bows. I think Foda, um, Foda is not necessarily, I think it could be related. Fobo and the paradox of choice are, I think, very, um, they're sort of siblings. And what's so interesting, I love the paradox of choice. I'd never read it actually until last year. And then as I was, um, you know, as I was thinking about these topics more, I picked up the book and I read it. And what is so interesting about that book is it was written in 2004. It came out in 2004. So right around the time that I wrote my article about about FOMO and FOBO and FOTA. And the world has changed so much since that time. Um, but the, the fundamental kind of series of, of, of struggles that it, that, it, that it talks about are, are you know, even worse today. So these terms have become even more important to think about now. Now that FOMO is a thing, how has it changed your life and do you have any funny stories about it? Well, number one, uh, I, I became better friends with the guy who wrote the article. So Ben Schreckinger, as it's really funny. So, you know, I'm going to, you know, I, I always, every time I, I see you, you, as you well know, I'm always profusely thanking you for having written the article. And it's been really fun to follow your career because when I knew you, you were a freelancer, you know, just out of college writing for Boston Magazine. And you were, clearly had talent, but you hadn't sort of found your spot. And then you ended up in D.C., you've written, um, you know, for Politico, you've done some other really interesting projects, and um, you got yelled at by Donald Trump, which I think is amazing. So I've, you know, that's one thing that changed my life. But uh, uh, in terms of the, the, the spread of FOMO, you know, what I have noticed, it's just kind of fun, is that everywhere I go in the world, you know, so I was on book tour with my book, The 10% Entrepreneur, uh, for the last two years. And I've gone, I've gone to like 13 countries, I think, on that book tour. Everywhere from Brazil and Argentina to Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, Uganda, Myanmar, um, all over Europe, all over the U.S. It's been a total and crazy time. But no matter where I go, except for in Argentina, where apparently FOMO does not exist, and Jamaica, where they also don't seem to get it. Like it's they, People in Jamaica are like, I don't get this, which is says in its cultural point, right? But in, in, in many countries in the world, um, people want to take a selfie with me because I invented the word FOMO. And that's why I'm doing the podcast, because I realize that um, FOMO, FOMO is a term that people... Uh, really feel strongly related to. It's something that most anybody can experience in this day and age. And so as I realized that, I now I tell everybody I invented FOMO and it generates the funniest thing. So the other night I was at an event and I got introduced to this woman who is Carrie Kennedy, who is, um, she was the daughter of Robert uh, Kennedy. She runs the Robert Kennedy um, uh, Human Rights Foundation. And, you know, I was so impressed to meet her. She's an amazing woman and, you know, she's done amazing things. But she asked me when she found out I invented FOMO if I would take a selfie with her. And I just thought that was amazing because, you know, her kids talk about FOMO. And the fact that somebody from that amazing um, profile would want to take a selfie with me, it just kind of, it seems crazy to me. And so that has been, it's just made life more fun and interesting. And I think if you can find something that makes life a little more fun, you're on the right path. Okay, so Ben, um, how has FOMO changed your life? Has it changed your life at all? 
How has FOMO... Well, uh, I got a great clip out of it. Uh, I made a new friend out of it. Um, it's probably... It's probably... In understanding the term and understanding the way it became a social media kind of a term, something that was associated with overuse of social media, uh, has probably helped me ratchet down my use of social media a little bit, um, which has been helpful, I think, because FOMO is real, you know? It is real. It is real. Now, tell me something. So, um, now I'm going to take the show back now. I was very, it was, uh, it was very stressful to give you control for a little while, so I'm taking it back. But, um, you know, we didn't talk a lot about your work here, but you have been a prodigious writer. You've written pieces, everything from talking about, obviously, the campaign trail to you've written pieces about some of the work you've been doing, you know, a real fundamental investigative journalism to kind of more funny, fun pieces about what it's like to be young and Russian in Washington, D.C. So uh, where can we find out more about you, more about your work? Where can people read all the great stuff you've been writing? That is a great question. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Shrek Reports. That's at S-C-H-R-E-C-K Reports. Uh, and you can also check out my website. I have a bunch of, uh, bunch of my clips there. It's benshrekinger.com. So B-E-N-S-C-H-R-E-C-K-I-N-G-E-R.com. Awesome. Yeah, and I, and I highly recommend, by the way, um, I follow Ben on Twitter, and I can tell you that um, he is he's just funny sometimes, but also there's a lot of good retweets from other people and original tweets. So if there's breaking news and uh, in this day and age in Washington, let's face it, there's always breaking news. You'll want to be following Ben on Twitter. And now I want to shift gears and go to our faux moment of the week. Uh, faux moment of the week is when we talk about something that was out there in the press that is very much in the realm of FOMO. Uh, Some of you might know, but I've got real doubts about Bitcoin. I've always believed that the prices of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies were driven more by speculation than by intrinsic value. And now that prices have crashed, people are learning that the hard way. In fact, Forbes recently mentioned in an article that people are feeling so bad about this that they are starting to not have FOMO anymore which they used to basically have when they bought Bitcoin, but now they have something else, and it's called FUD. You know, that stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And while FUD doesn't sort of ring uh, the way that FOMO does in the air, I can tell you that FUD feels exactly what it sounds like. It feels terrible. And so never forget, FOMO is not an investment strategy. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, For more information about me, about FOMO Sapiens or the 10% Entrepreneur, you can go to my website, patrickmcginnis.com, where you can find all kinds of information, links to social. You can also reach out to me and send me your idea for the FOMO moment of the week at letsconnect at patrickmcginnis.com. So check that out. And until next time, take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time on FOMO Sapiens.